Hi, and welcome to a very special episode of Sepad Pod. I'm Simon Mayburn, and today I'm joined by two very, very special, fabulous Sepad fellows to discuss everything that's been happening in the past week or so with regard to the deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran. I'm delighted that we are joined, first of all, by Banafshe Kenush, who is a wonderful scholar of this very topic and has written a number of books pertaining to the rivalry itself, including the fantastic Saudi Arabia and Iran friends or foes, and a new book that looks at Iran's engagement with the nuclear question and regional politics more broadly. Banafshe, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, it's great to be here, and thank you for having me. And we are also joined by Aziz Algashian. Aziz is a Saudi researcher who looks at Saudi foreign policy and discourse analysis and the transformation, I think it's fair to say, of Saudi Arabia's role in the region with a particular interest on relations with Israel and a growing interest in dialogue with Iran. Aziz, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure and uh, thank you for updating my research interests because uh that's uh it really needed to be updated and expanded upon so thank you well i think you're right at the vanguard of some pretty fascinating stuff there aziz and i'm really looking forward to this this conversation which is if not the first podcast discussion Mm. that features an iranian scholar and a saudi scholar then it's certainly one of the first so First things first, Banafshe Aziz, thank you so much for doing this. I think it's wonderful and really, really important. My pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. My my pleasure. (laughs) So, Banafshe, let's start with you, please. Uh, Tell us why are we we even having this conversation? What's gone on in the past week that has prompted um, a plethora of of opinion pieces about about Saudi-Iranian relations? I mean, what's, what's stimulating the need for this discussion? Um, sure. Well, after a little over seven years, the two countries have decided to um, take steps to reopen missions and embassies within two months after an agreement that was reached on March 10th uh, in Beijing, China. Well, what's new about it is that the agreement was reached in Beijing, China, but um, there's a certain level of continuity to the discussions that finally led to the agreement in Beijing, China, in that, you know, Saudi Arabia and Iran had started talking in um, 2021-2022, and Iraq hosted five rounds of talks between the two countries. The talks stalled in uh, after their last meeting in April 2022, right about the time that the Iran nuclear deal discussions kind of stalled too, because as you know, the United States pulled out of a deal that it made. Uh, the deal was made in 2015. The Trump administration pulled the United States out in 2018. And the Biden administration has been very keen to revive the deal. Um, but the, talk, the nuclear uh, conversation kind of stalled back then, and so did the Saudi-Iranian talks. And my understanding is that at that point, they had resolved a lot of issues already. And uh, especially on Iran's side, it was very keen to, to push Saudi Arabia to, to consider reopening embassies. But Saudi Arabia kind of was half-hearted with the idea, mindful that the nuclear talks won't, were not progressing as fast. And then there were um, a couple of rounds, uh, two or three rounds, I can't remember, it's very early in the morning right now, 
uh, in, in Muscat Oman on security mm. issues. And that was the conversation that the Saudis wanted to really have. The Iranians were more interested in kind of figuring out how a resumption of relations after seven years with Saudi Arabia to kind of ease Iran's look east and Asia pivot. Because mm. as you know, geographically, these are spheres that are connected um, through the Gulf, mm. the Gulf, I mean, too much trade. And if China is a big investor in both countries, which we know it is, then obviously it has a stake in it. And I think in the end, China stepped in uh, with an initiative that the two sides considered and finally had this initial agreement. What's to me the most fascinating part of this agreement is that it's really an initial agreement. It's a lengthy one from what I've read. It's been signed. It's going to be kept confidential by the two sides uh, for now, at least. But but really, it is marketed as a bilateral relation, uh, relation agreement uh, with eyes on the region and on easing tensions in the region. So what that tells me is that there's still a lot of conversation to be had between them. They want the bilateral relations to replace tensions, but they're kind of not exactly sure how the rest of it will work out in so many conflict zones in the Middle East. But uh, perhaps Aziz can add a little perspective on that side of the question. Yeah, happy to. I mean, I think for me, uh, indeed, I think both states, and I think for, particularly from the Saudi side, um, I think they realize, the Saudi ruling elite, in my opinion, really deduced finally that, okay, the, this this meeting Iran had on and, and this kind of, um, this theme of conflict and antagonism is just not, not good for anybody. Uh, and not good, not only for just anybody, but not good for its regional, its, its regional policies, but it's also just domestic policies. Um, of course, anybody who's following Saudi, Saudi Arabia now will see, uh, Vision 2030 literally everywhere. And Vision 2030 can't really, um, be maximized in a, in a turbulent region. So I think that's why it's very interesting to see the discourse of uh, the crown prince, the Saudi crown prince. And he's always referring to a, a thriving region rather than a thriving Saudi. Um, and I think you could see, you could trace that back to Davos in the desert 2018. Um, when for me, he was saying that, you know, uh, this is, th- this is a, this is personal for him, that this, this, this mission, of uh, elevating the, the the region and contributing towards a thriving region is something personal to him. And then I think for me, it's when he said, even with Qatar, irrespective of our problems with them, we want them to be successful. So I think for me that spoke to this idea that, okay, after a few years, yes, and my, my niece says hello here. My niece agrees with me as well. As well I'm sure. Uh, but, but after a few years, um, it's it's time to have more regional integration. But I think even leading up to the to the Jidda summit uh, in 2022 in the summer, July 2022. Uh, personally, I think that's where it was clear that there was a a, a big shift uh, or a public shift in in this strategy, and that Saudi now has has made a strategic decision to. Uh, reproach Iran, but reproach it with a strong Arab bloc. Um, 
and then kind of approach Iran uh, in that way and then kind of extend attacks. And even when there were turbulences in that relationship in in that time in between the normalization of March 10th and, and the Jiddah summit, Saudi was very reserved in some of the criticisms towards Iran. This is what I realized also. This is what I sensed. So they were always calling for respect of um, mutual uh, sovereignty. They were, they, they were they were in some ways somewhat uh, traditional. They weren't overt in their in their criti- criticism. Um, so I, I think for me it suggested that there is something that's that's happening, and there's they're working towards something, and most importantly, they want something to happen. That's really interesting. Um, both of yeah. you picked up some. I think this this really key point here, and and Benashia used the phrase bilateral, and interestingly, that was the title of my PhD. The, the bilateral relationship between Saudi Arabia and Iran, which is a, a whole other discussion. But um, Aziz, you then suggested that the, the Saudis have got their proverbial ducks in a row and got a strong Arab backing for this. So yeah. to what extent then is it, both of you, is this about relations between Riyadh and Tehran or is it reintegrating um, Iran back into the, the Gulf fold, if you will? And note my careful use in, of the word "gulf" and not yeah, gulf. Arab. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, that 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 that's very much appreciated and noted. Um, uh, or we could use the the Turkish uh, idea of gulf, where they call it uh, Basra, the uh, Gulf of Basra. Mm-hmm. Now, which is I I just re- realized that they say that, but uh, yeah, gulf is good. Um, in my opinion, uh, sorry, Ben to 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 speak a bit too much here, but but uh, yeah, in my opinion. Thank you, thank you. And in my opinion, it's a bit of both. You know, it's I, I think it speaks to this idea that the the Saudi psyche, I would say, it, it's too inched. Uh, the the fact that you know there is this um, meddling in Arab affairs, and I think it's too entrenched in in their perception towards towards Iran. So this has to be addressed from the Saudi perspective um, for themselves, really. Um, and then uh, to reintegrate Iran, this. Or, or I would say to integrate Iran uh, into the regional kind of uh, fold, or at least be part of the regional project. This is really consistent with the regional policy, in my opinion, of Saudi Arabia and others in the region, because Saudi Arabia is not the only one that has uh, a vision 2030. I mean, Qatar has a vision 2030. Oman has a vision 2040. So the, the, the region is going through an aspect of regionalization and then even what was very interesting was the GCC plus uh, statement, and especially King Abdullah of Jordan, when he said, if I was Iran, I would be asking myself, well, where do I fit within these projects? So it spoke to the fact that this is uh, what, what was pushing for this was really a regionalization also. And I think that's what that's what's going to make this rapprochement. It's going to give it a lot more stamina than probably other uh, rapprochements before which it was based on hard security, but if they agree on hard security, yet they're each other's hard security obstacles, then it's very, very difficult. So I think the aspect of the economic factor is perhaps the glue that's going to keep the traction between them. Interesting. But actually, what do you think? I mean, I agree with uh, a lot of what I said, almost all of it, I would have to say. but I, you know, being the Iranian voice on this side, I have to start with first the narrative. Mm. That um, the Iranians and the Arabs 
have very different ways of looking at life. Life for the Arabs around us has been, besides Iraq, has been a lot easier and smoother and even flowery compared to where we come from. And whenever I travel to the Arab world, to tell you the truth, as is that annoying mm. me. Mm. Um, not because I'm resentful or envious, not mm. at all, um, but because I, I just can't put two and two together and figure out how two people coming from the same region yeah. um, are so far apart yeah. in the way yeah. they see life. You're right. And therefore, I look at the Saudi Iranian agreement with a degree of hesitation mm. more than you do. Because, you know, these temperaments don't change overnight. The Arabs and their narrative is all about visions. And and mind you, Iran has a vision too, as you say. Mm. Um, But, you know, all these these flowery ideas and, uh, you know, let's sell Persian food on the market. Um, Mm. Iran's survival, Mm. uh, A, Iran is already part of the region. Iran is already integrated into the region. See, Iran has integrated the region into its own self. So mm. it has, um, the region has kind of metamorphosized into something that it wasn't before the Iranian mm. influence. So while the Arabs look at the region as, oh, we are wanting to, Iran to integrate and grow and all that, Iran, if you speak to it in Iran, if they're really honest with you, they're like, hold on a second. We, we say how the region moves. Mm. Even if it's the Arab world, and even if we don't say that, let's not forget that we we reintegrated the region into the way that we want. I mean, the revolutionaries want to see it. So there's a mismatch of conversation over yeah. there that brings the hesitation that I have to our discussion this morning. I am concerned and I am worried as a result um, because it's one thing to have visions and you know to have music concerts and it's all great. I hope that all happens. And, that's very, that can happen very quickly. And that would be wonderful. Um, both people on both yeah. sides deserve to enjoy each other's company. And I know mm-hmm. from my travels to both places that they really want to on a people to people level. But on a political level, as mm-hmm. long as Iran does not resolve its differences with the West and with the United States, there will be tensions in its relations with Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and in Arab world. Now, there are signs that a nuclear deal might be revived in which the United States is on board. And I think that without those signs, the Saudi-Iranian deal would not have progressed the way it did and kind of so quickly. And I think for that matter, China and the United States were in uh, in talks about it too. Um, There's not just me, but there's no one in Iran that believes that the United States was not on board with this idea, although it did not shape it fully. You know, it was the Iraqis and Muscat and then China, but the United States was a, and the United States said it itself, we have been encouraging this to happen, as has been Russia. So mm-hmm. this tells me that mindful of the big power interest in, in this relationship, yes, there's an economic aspect to it. Everybody wants to do business in the Gulf. Everybody needs their investment secured. The Russians don't want the Americans uh, in, in the Gulf waterway, you know, in and out. Uh, too, too difficult with the war in Ukraine. But Iran is not really fundamentally abandoning its policies. I've been saying yeah. this past week. In fact, it is saying, yes, we, we the agreement says we're going to respect 
you know, the sovereignty of states and the principle of non-interference in states. But um, we are expanding our axis of influence. And we're actually developing new axes of influence. This is what they're saying. Because the war in Ukraine uh, has created opportunities for Iran to create new axes of it. So Saudi Arabia and Iran are going to have to sit down and really talk about what that means in terms yeah. of, on one hand, Iran saying, according to this agreement, that it does not want to, it, you know, it, it respects sovereignty and the principle of non-interference. But then is access of influence, you tell me, Simon, is it interference or is it not interference? Because I'm still trying to put two and two together. So I urge you, as you see, I mean, I, I, I would yeah. Yeah. urge all my Arab friends, let's, yeah. let's put yourself in our shoes. We're far more yeah. pessimistic than our Arab neighbors are. Banafshi, you've just you've said that this isn't a change in in Iran's sort of strategic view of the world, and I think that's that's a valid point. But then, is it a shift for the Saudis, Aziz? Mm. Given that it was China that that got this over the line, you you rightly mentioned this earlier, Banafshi. Yep. Beijing made this ultimately happen. It got it over the line with the blessing perhaps of the United States, much the chagrin of many in Washington, though, I'm sure. And there's all of this friction between Washington and Riyadh, Riyadh and Washington. Is this a shift in Saudi policy then, doubling down on the region itself, looking elsewhere, looking to Beijing, Belt and Road opportunities, transformation of the Saudi kingdom, etc., etc. Are we looking at this the wrong way then? No, well, uh, in my opinion, I think let me start off with how we shouldn't look at, at it. In my opinion, I don't think this uh, is something that will uh, come at the expense of the Saudi calculation towards the United States. I think because I think one of the things that we've the region has attracted was, OK, well, there is the shift and a shift means kind of a moving away. Uh, and I don't think this is Saudi moving away from the United States. So that, I think that that was one of the things that uh, uh, I'll start off with. Um, but I think the traditional approach for Saudi Arabia regarding that it, it's going to depend on the United States really to, you know, push this kind of um, use its leverage on the on on Iran. I, I think it wasn't successful, and I think the Saudis uh, realize it's not that this wasn't the the approach uh, that's going to generate some kind of momentum and development. And I think this is really the now the China uh, option, uh, and the the fact that we're seeing a multipolar, more of a multipolar world, um, now seems to be lending itself well to uh, the region because now here's a superpower. That, that was happy to, or not happy, but uh, that was not just happy, but happy and able, which is the most important thing, to kind of get the sticky points uh, over, over, the, over the line between Saudi Arabia uh, and Iran. And I think it is a, a change in calculation, in my opinion. And, and to be honest, uh, the pessimism that uh, Benafshish ha- has is something I share too. But I, I think, you know, if this isn't... I think the reason why they normalized relations is because they know they're going to have turbulence between them. It's just now 
the fact that they are meeting and and meeting head on and and meeting uh, symmetrically. Saudis really liked the fact that China was critical of Iran, and I think that kind of that gave it that confidence to go forward. That Saudis now understand, or it, Saudis now want people to understand what their grievances with Iran is, which is the fact that it, it, it you know, just like what Bonafri said, the one second they say they respect sovereignty, but then they want to gain influence. Uh, and this has to be ironed out. What I think that's the most beneficial of this, especially what the Saudi foreign minister said, Faisal bin Farhan, when he said that Lebanon is not an Iranian issue or a Saudi issue. Lebanon's issue has to be dealt with Lebanese. Um, input and Lebanon, which for me, I think was very beneficial because they're starting now not to see, at least from the Saudi perspective, that spheres of competition. Uh, and I think for me that that was very telling in some of the statements. So uh, there is, um, I think there's a, there's an optimistic punt, I would say, uh, for, from, from the Saudi perspective. And I think it realizes because, you know, other options have not, uh, have not worked out in their favor and not worked out in anybody's favor. Honestly, I just, I think that, I mean, everything you say is just uh, right on point. Uh, and yeah. I agree with all of it, but I also want to add yeah. that I think there's a very pragmatic side to this deal. And the pragmatic mm-hmm. side of it is that Iran pulled out of a protest that well, we know went on for months. And it was the largest, most meaningful anti-government protest that has happened inside the country since its 1979 revolution. And Iran, Tehran mm. subdued it, but mm. the undercurrents of uh, dissatisfaction are still very pervasive. The mm. economy is is faltering. People yeah. don't have money. People yeah. cannot cope with life as easily any longer. So, if Iran needs China's investments, I think the Chinese made it very clear to Iran that they are. Res- they are responsible yeah. for guaranteeing stability in the Gulf. And that was made very clear to Ibrahim mm. Raisi when he went to Beijing in February. So I, I wrote a piece, a brief about it mm. at the Middle East Institute, if anyone's interested. It was made very clear. And it was there that the decision was finalized that, yes, something must be done. And I think the agreement was already made that something will be done with Saudi Arabia in terms of normalization with Ibrahim yeah. Raisi proceeded to receive a peace award and a peace PhD from Beijing University right mm. after the protests in Iran. Mm. So for Iran, there's a very practical economic reason for why it, it mindful that it's wanted this normalization, but now mm. it's completed. And I think for Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Yemen mm. is the reason, at least this is what the hardliners in Iran say, and you might disagree with them, as is, I don't know if you can tell me. No, Yemen, no. Why Saudi Arabia needs to figure out what to do with Iran and in a different way. Because both sides, as you say, have said we need to figure it out in a different way. Yeah. The way it's been. I, I mean, I think you, you, you mentioned really, I mean, great points here, and I, I agree with them. And I think one, just to expand upon this, is that I think the economic situation within Iran is something that Saudis found as, a, as a, perhaps an opportunity that this is perhaps time where, okay, we can use a lar- the Saudi largesse to invest because Jadan, the foreign, the, the, the minister of finance here in Saudi, 
said that he's he's very happy and he sees great potential in investing within Iran or inside Iran. So this aspect of trying to bring that investment in and to really be part of the, you know, develop the Iranian economy uh, or help develop the Iranian economy is something that, of course, can be then spilled over into really not, not I mean, not just not just Yemen, but, you know, other proxies, but not least Yemen also and the Houthis. And, and I how think, would that work with the sanctions on Iran? Do you think, I mean, we either have to assume that the U.S. will make a nuclear deal and ease the sanctions. Yeah, or, yeah. Or without a deal and in sanctions in place. How do you think that will work out? Well, if this is why there is reports that Saudi has actually tried to speak with the, the Houthis and Houthis tried to speak and negotiate and have this open line with, with each other, which is basically not open line, but, you know, have this kind of negotiation is that, okay, it, it, it's something that Saudi has going to have to manage. And rather than meet it head on, I think the issue is trying to incentivize Iran uh, rather than try to de- deter Iran. And I think this is the best way because it's more of a win-win situation here. And again, or maybe in a more realistic aspect, is probably a, a, a mitigating approach rather than kind of a, a very uh, optimistic sure. approach. So th- this is, I think this is where, um, you know, the, the, the economy um, and, and because they know it's happening. And also Saudis just, I don't think they really want to wait for what the West will do with Iran. I exactly. think they want to be more proactive. Yeah. And if I may, as you just interrupt, Simon, I wonder if I can say something that's a little off the chart, but Please. we know that Saudi Arabia, at least there was a New York Times report saying Saudi Arabia wants, you know, more advanced nuclear infrastructure. And so mm. with this multilateralism that Aziz has touched on, you know, China promoting multilateralism, Saudi Arabia and Iran, you know, becoming both members of sorts of BRICS plus in 2023, and then in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Uh, and also mindful, you know, uh, because of the work I've done of, of what how in- instrumental China was in in my finding in advancing Iran's nuclear program in every aspect of the Iranian nuclear program. That uh, might not this also be a consideration for Saudi Arabia? I think that uh, yeah. you know, it might, if it can't receive, uh, as you said, the West's endorsement of its advanced nuclear yeah. program, would a pivot towards China and also you know, this kind of normalization for what it's yeah. worth now that Iran helps advance the Saudi nuclear industry. Yeah. Do you, is there any conversation about that? I mean, I don't know. Simon, what do, what do, you, what do, you, what do you think about that? I think it's a fascinating one. Um, I've not heard conversation about it, yeah. say, yeah. um, but you would be far better placed than I to, to say if that's the sort of thing that's cropping up in op-eds across Saudi media outlets. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Think tanks. Yeah. But well, I'm the one who's talking about it, not something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just wrote a book about the topic of Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I can't stop thinking about it. And I might be off track, but well, I think, I it's think a I fascinating said it. one. Because yeah. I, I asked the question to an Iranian friend the other day about would the, um, would the Iranian government let the Saudis invest in key infrastructure, for example, in, in oil and gas, which would of course, provide the Iranian state with much-needed financial largesse right now. But in the longer term, if things were to deteriorate again, then that mm. would leave them vulnerable. And it's the same mm. thing then, um, if you flip it around, about the uh, 
a Saudi nuclear program supported by Iran. Yeah. I mean, the counter argument is this deepens relations, it strengthens relations, it it draws yeah. the two together um, in so many so many important ways. So I think in theory, in theory, well, in developing a deterrence, I've been arguing a deterrence nuclear regime in the Gulf. I think China is in a good position to do that. BRICS is in a good position because all five of them have embarked on paths of nuclear weaponization. So they can actually develop a regime based on deterrence that Israel and Iran for the time yeah. they have unable to and the United States has been unable to. Can I just jump in on this point? There's a couple of areas that I want to touch on. Um, before we wrap this up. But one of the things that I'm really keen to hear about is the popular response to this. Banafshe, you mm. talked about protests in Iran, the most serious protests in decades that seem to be striking right at the heart of the, the essence of the Islamic Republic. Um, now, there's various reports about how serious these were and how much popular support they actually had, but they were obviously hugely important and it pointed to a, a vocal rejection of these ideas and now there's normalization with the saudis so how mm. have how have um, iranians responded and then aziz how have the saudis responded if we can yeah. so much as talk about an iranian public and a saudi public <laughs> inside iran i've talked to a lot of people and for the most part the uh responses, the people of Iran deserve a little bit of an easier life. And if this relationship with Saudi Arabia can bring it about, then the people of Iran deserve to have it. Um, outside Iran, I think it was met with more shock because there's a mm. more local opposition outside. Yeah. And um, first of all, it, the opposition has quieted down suddenly because of the disagreement. Um, nobody's really talking about it, except, you know, independent Iranians who go on, you know, chat rooms and stuff like that. Um, so I think that goes to the heart of what we are saying here and what I said, that you know, yeah. there's a gap here between people's understanding of this agreement and what it can actually produce, mindful of the tensions inside Iran and the the difficulties of the Saudi and Iranian government to see eye to eye on so many mm. that people like us, I think, will be in a good position to help them with. Yeah. But yeah. Um, the reformist and the hardline, the reformist faction and the conservative factions in Iran are kind of like saying, you know, we've always said we need relations with Saudi Arabia. That's the Fatah mm. and Rouhani people. Yeah. And we've done our share of it. And this is not a factional discussion. It's a structural issue. Iran made this agreement no matter who's president because it needs to. Um, the hardliners, I have in my first book on Saudi Arabia and Iran, I made this Which is point. excellent. The hardliners are the only faction in Iran from my field research that I believe have always cared about their relationship with Saudi Arabia a lot more yep. than the reformists and the conservatives. Because the reformists and conservatives cared about relations with the West a lot more. The hardliners mm. Saudi Arabia for their own ideational perspectives about our Muslim world, West, Israel, uh, so many things that we need a whole other podcast series for to finish up. So yeah, that, it's that all is, coming out now, isn't it? There's so many yeah. different angles at play here. Yeah. And then the 
business community, the chambers of commerce in Iran are like, yeah, this is great. And, and it's, in fact, this is really funny. The head, the deputy chamber of commerce in Iran is like, people, if you have money under your pillows, bring them out. It's time. Time. Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody in Iran thinks the Saudis are all very rich. Yeah. <laughs> so bring yeah. it out, investments, <laughs> and, you know, hooray. What's the response like no, I think being from the Saudi, Saudi then? It's Saudi. To be honest, I, I think a lot of them are more pessimistic than Benefshi because uh, there's, you know, there has to be a lot that has to be undone uh, regarding the social discourse. Um, you know, and personally, if I could contextualize this a bit more, uh, Iran was a very useful outlet for many people. Uh, it was it was very uh, it was a it was a useful um, and and um, not just useful but it was a, a convenient scapegoat for for many things and it was a a a, 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 a demonizing focal point I would say uh, for because it was you know the, the the rhetoric was all the same it was all okay these people want to export the revolution there is always something always there these people don't you know they're they're some of these things were really ethnic based racist kind of some of them sectarian and a lot of these things were were kind of mished and mashed together that turned into a, a social discourse that really was perpetuated for a very long time and therefore now this is a shock for some people and this is where i think the saudis the the saudi i would say civil Saudi academics, Saudi analysts that are more pragmatic, that are more kind of about building bridges, have their work to do now. Because uh, thankfully, we feel emboldened by the top-down approach that, okay, the rhetoric regarding Iran has really changed. I mean, Faisal bin Farhan, the foreign minister, said that... uh, you know the Iranian, uh, our our brothers in Iran. I mean, they, they said our brothers in Iran that we can invest there, and and we. So here's a blessing uh, that I think won't take much time to undo, but you know because the 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 the, um, the green light is there to to, to have to have uh, a better discourse, but it, it will take some time. There's a lot of people that are very suspicious of it. Uh, there's a lot of people that are very kind of saying, hey, we, you know, time will tell. By the way, there's one thing here that a lot of people say time will tell, which is a fair point, to be honest with you, I think. Uh, time yeah. will tell. Yeah. And I but, go back um, to the point that Simon wants to say. I, I want to say this. I want to ask you this. Yeah. Because of the experience of the protests in Iran, and I have to say this because as a person who likes, I, I have to say it as a point of integrity. Mm. A lot of Iranians, while they're happy for peace, everybody is. Yeah. The Iranians need it. Yeah. Yeah. We all are peace-loving people. I don't, you know, the people of Iran. Yeah. Um, but these are two governments. Mm. And Iran's recent experience with its human rights record was very dismal. Mm. So if the Saudi-Iranian normalization is to stand the test of time, as you say, mm. on a it is very important for the people of Iran, and I, yeah. I know I can speak from experience from this one, to see that they are building a relationship with the Saudi yeah. Arabia that um, cares about these, these concepts mm. of 
right? Mm. Mm. Um, mm. And I think that Saudi Arabia can offer a lot, as a matter of fact, despite the Ashari episode. Mm. Because Saudi Arabia, the Iran that, Saudi, the Saudi Arabia that the Iran, Iranians know for the most part is limited to Hajj. They don't know anything. They, they don't really mm. understand. They don't know Vision 2030. Nobody in my family, I've written a book about, and nobody in my family has even heard of Vision 2030. Nobody in my family has even heard yeah. of, nobody in my family doesn't even know what's going on on the Red Sea, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah and that's my family. So, you know, they, they read books, they read newspapers yeah, daily yeah, yeah. and all that. So they, because Saudi Arabia has opened up a lot socially, yeah. it's very important for Saudi Arabia to present its new yeah. stuff. I was just telling Simon, the Saudi Arabia that I was in in 2011 was very different to the Saudi Arabia that I went in 2018. I couldn't believe I was in the same place. Um, well, Saudi Arabia in 2022 is different than Saudi Arabia 2023. I, so, so imagine how much catching up you are. And it's important to convince the people of Iran yeah, that yeah. this is not going to come at a cost of people opening up mm, mm. And, and enjoying because any development in the region must carry with it freedom as well. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, so I, in the Middle Eastern sense, I'm not talking about, you know, freedom, let's go to Nevada, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever we want. I'm talking freedom in the Middle East. Mm. I didn't do any of those Nevada things, but <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I agree completely. Yeah. I, I mean, I just wanted to just echo this and, and just say, listen, that the, the good thing about this is that what you highlighted is that this means that we have our, our, our job to do now, you know, of, of trying to really present this and present the fact that, okay, you know, that, okay, the governments now finally have allowed this to take place. It's not now, it's not going to be a, a touchy subject like it used to be. Uh, and the opportunities to really explain and highlight the commonalities of the people-to-people contact, because it, it, it's there. And this is why the bottom-up aspect here is very, very crucial. Because as you said, you know, 2015, when the turbulence happened, of course, it was it, early 2016, is different than what it is now. The people are different. The, the, the world views are different. So it's an opportunity now, um, and and it's an opportunity for people, even domestically, to to think less zero sum, and to think more, you know, more nuancedly now. It's 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 time to have domestic. Hopefully, this relationship will help instigate domestic discussions, intellectual discussions, far more. Uh, and this and is I what I really hope. And I don't want to beat our own drum uh, here in Sepan and all of us, the work we've yeah. done. But, you know, one of the striking things in my field work in both countries is how little even their top senior diplomats really understand the relationship. Yeah. And obviously things have changed and gotten better because of the tensions that people read. Yeah. Their but really underlying and structural understanding of the relationship is still what people like us can help. Yeah, play yeah. absolutely. And I will tell you that my book, a lot of people from inside Iran, I won't name that comment, you know, they've taken my book, my writings, my it, it That shows you, I'm not drumming, you know, I, I don't do that. That's yeah. not why I'm saying this. That goes to show how much misunderstanding mm. can be derailed this yeah. 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 When people supposedly in the know who are the diplomats or the 
I don't know, the ministers yeah. not, you know, they, they, they're too busy focusing on the immediate issues on the ground. What are they doing in Yemen? What are they, but really yeah. to put the whole package together and explain the structural factors, the balance of power, this is it. I've done, if I, if I die today and go to heaven, I'll be able to bring my head up and say, God, I've done my share for humanity and for peace between mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia and Iraq. Every member of the pod has and will do that. So let's not underestimate ourselves because our government, I mean, Iran's government, I have, I have American citizenship, but they need to take us a lot more seriously. It's time. Mm. This is what mm. freedom is. Freedom is a dialogue between them and people like us. I'm tired mm. of and text to senior people in Iran without ever being acknowledged. Mm. You know, it's time that we all speak very openly and use the expertise we bring combined to the table. Mm. We've done an enormous job. We should be very proud of ourselves. And I yeah. think the two of you should be very, very proud of what you've just done in the course of this conversation. I think it's it's hugely important. I feel very honoured and very lucky Thank to you. be here. Um, As a very minor role listening to you both. And there is, of course, so much more to discuss here. So uh, we may well have to do rounds two through ten to it's really get to the ready. complexities of it. But as a as an initial conversation... This has been absolutely fantastic, and you are both doing such wonderful work towards peace, towards the production of knowledge, towards acknowledging the the points of similarity, um, trying to break down the points of difference. And I think Mm. that's so important. So from me, uh, a huge thank you to you both, Banafshi and Aziz. It's been a a real, real pleasure. It's a real pleasure to be with Banafshi. Thank you. Thank you so much. And also thanks for hosting us. And and thank you, Simon, because, you know, it, your contributions are doing the same thing, too. And you really speak to the idea where, you know, people from outside the region do play a, an important role and do and can bring useful concepts and bridging people to people, uh, people together. And that's what you, you and Tepad embody. Um, yes. So and I just really, really appreciate. It. That's why I'm so I'm so happy to be part of this, and and and, and we need we just need more and more more of this uh, kind of attitude and philosophies, really. Yes. So I so thank I you, Simon. Bandwidth to bring us all in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So thank you for Stepad. Thank you. Yes. Thank yep. you both. I will pay you later, and we can uh, move on. From this. But thank now, you now, now we said what you wanted to say. We'll, 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 we'll move on. I was about to get some coffee. Can you pay me now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you, both of you. Hey. Huge thanks to Aziz and Banashe for their time just now, for their honesty, openness, and integrity in discussing a hugely important issue a hugely important set of developments in this rivalry relationship between the Saudis and the Iranians. You can find them both on Twitter at Banafshekhenush and at Aziz Algashian. So do give them a follow. Do check out the wonderful work that they're both producing on this and many other topics. As always, a huge thank you to you for listening. Until next time.